These last six weeks have gone fast. This is the last of a six-week sermon series on the Gospel of John. Katie and I have been following through a book by Francis Taylor Gensch on the encounters with Jesus in which we focus particularly on the ordinary people, people just like you and me, who in the Gospel of John encounter Jesus and what their encounter is like, and from that we can learn for ourselves what Jesus means for us and how to believe. Today we're gonna to focus on a very particular man who was with Jesus in the very beginning. He is called by Jesus in chapter one and is with him to the very end. That's where our reading is. It's the very, very end of the Gospel of John. So know by now that Jesus has had his ministry, he's been crucified, he is raised, and he has appeared multiple times to his disciples. And in fact, the gospel seems to kind of end when it says, and these things are written and many more so that you might come to believe. That's where you think the story might end, which is why many scholars will claim that this is an epilogue. It's there recorded for us to know something about this man, Peter. So listen for what happens to Peter as I read from John chapter 21. After all these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard it, it was the Lord. He put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the lake. But the disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far away, only about 100 yards offshore. When they had gone onshore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and there were so many of them, but yet the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him now a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after he said all of these things to him, follow me. Please pray with me. Dear God, to whom can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So we gather in your sanctuary, some with faith and others with doubt. We ask that you speak to us now of eternal things. Stir our hearts and souls to believe, so that in believing we may turn our lives to be witnesses to your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now he was a fisherman, accustomed to hard labor. He worked the night shift by the light of the moon and long hours in a baking sun. The back of his neck was probably all weathered, leathery-like, and the lines in his face were so deep because he had labored in the elements all his life. Hauling nets weighed down with fish and digging deep into the water with long oars gave him great big Popeye the Sailor Man kinds of forearms. He was a big, beefy guy. He was strong. But he also had to secure bait, and he had tedious, mind-numbing work to mend the nets that always seemed to tear with the fish. All of this he needed to do for fishing, and fishing was all of what he'd ever done. This man had worked his entire life for someone else, and he'd worked alongside other people, but always competing to find the better fishing spots and making sure that he got the best dollar for his haul. It was the nature of the trade, it was either a competitor, sometimes a comrade. You just never knew who you were standing next to. Sound kind of familiar in our life? Simon, the son of John, was his formal name, but the only person who probably called him by his full name was his mother when she was angry at him, Simon, son of John. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, we're told that his brother, it's his brother Andrew, who was also a fisherman, who came to him and said, I want you to meet this guy. This is Jesus. He is our Savior. And before Simon could utter a word, Simon receives a new name. I'm going to call you Cephas, or Peter. It means rock. But Simon, Peter, or even Peter, it seems a little formal, formal for this common fisherman, so I think you and I can just call him Pete. Since he'd worked his whole life for someone else and for little in return, he decided that he too would follow this man from Nazareth. And oh, it was a journey. Pete drank deeply of the good wine he'd never tasted before at a wedding in Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. And then he was one of the 5,000 who was fed from just a few crusts of bread and measly fish that he thought wasn't fit to serve anybody. Pete couldn't explain any of these signs, but he, drew, he grew to believe that this guy from Nazareth, when he said, all of this abundance, all of it, you can't understand, but all of this abundance comes from God. For the first time in his life, he was just not going through the motions of faith. Pete believed. He believed that God cared about his life. Pete should have known good things don't last long, though. The Jewish leaders felt threatened by Jesus, and they accused him of lying like one of those politicians when he said, I'm the bread of heaven, I am, I am the vine, you are the branches. All of those things incited so many of the crowd to follow him as believers. But the leaders kept challenging him. And so Jesus responds 
in a rather circular and hard to follow way. And he told them, if you believed, you were to eat his flesh and drink from his cup. And he said a lot more than that, such that all of this talk of losing your life and eating Jesus was more than most of the crowd could handle because it was just kind of gross. They decided the party was over and most of the people left. Maybe you too know of some fair-weathered friends that decide when the going gets tough, they are out of there. But not Pete. Maybe he was the sturdy, rock-solid type. When Jesus challenged him, are you going to? This man of very few words said, where can I go? You alone have the words to eternal life. At that time, Pete stood firm. Besides, Jesus had promised them life and life abundantly, and that's what he wanted. But don't get too far down the path. Just when you think Pete's going to be one of the heroes in this story, he blows it, and he blows it big in the Gospel of John. One night when they're gathered in Jerusalem in an upper room for a meal, the air is thick with tension because they know the gig is over, and all of them were threatened. This is when Jesus gives them a command, love one another. And Pete's scratching his head thinking, love is not going to stop those soldiers that are out to get you. And then Jesus stooped on the floor to wash everyone's feet. And Pete thought that was just crazy. Only a slave did that for someone else. And Pete wasn't having anything to do with some man washing his feet. He wasn't that kind of guy. It was too intimate. Confused about what's going on, he counters with, no, let me wash your feet. And then he flailed around even more saying, okay, but then wash my head. He couldn't accept the tenderness and the vulnerability and what was offered by this strong man as love. Everyone else in the room kind of sensed it, and they pitied Pete because he just didn't get it. Maybe you've seen someone else who tries to flex his muscles at the wrong time or remain guarded and not let, not let anyone close. None of the others seem to be able to love him much that night, and I hate to say it gets worse. At the dinner, Jesus tells them all of what's going to happen and that he will lay down his life for them. And then Pete jumps up and interrupts, saying, I, too, will follow you, and I, too, will lay down my life for you. Knowing all of what happened, Pete was crushed when Jesus said, No, you won't. Not only are you going to literally turn your back on me, you, too, will speak words that deny me three times. That just cut through his heart. So after Jesus left, he followed, and later that night, perhaps in an attempt to win him back when confronted with the mass of soldiers, almost like a riot crowd trying to get Jesus, Pete's blood boils, and as he prepares to protect his own, which is what he's always done before, he draws his sword. He draws a sword and slices off the ear of a slave. He is ready to fight for Jesus. But he lost the fight with Jesus when he was told, put away your sword. This is not the way. In the deep of dark night against the embers of a fire, Pete denied having any part of Jesus three times. The obtuse and stubborn rock threw everything away and he left. He learned from the others 
that by a crucifixion designed only for the lowest class of criminals, Jesus was dead. He wasn't even there for that. The weight of his shame was heavier than anything he had ever known, but he didn't know which was worse. Was it because he had denied Jesus? Or was it because he was so foolish to have believed in him from the very first? Sleepless nights turned into a third morning, and then there was one of the women who was frantic, saying that the tomb was empty. Pete got up and racing against another disciple, and in his mind, racing and arguing with himself, it's not possible, I know how big that stone is, it couldn't have been rolled away, but maybe. Pete was the first one to walk into that tomb, and he was the first one that found it was empty. The body was missing, He didn't know what to do or say, so he left again. Pete had nowhere to go, so he hid with the others, not sure to believe what he saw and what the women said. Pete didn't say anything for days. I mean, how can can anyone understand an empty tomb? So it's a week later, a week later with nail holes in a hand, and the side of his flesh torn open, Jesus appeared to them. It was unbelievable, and yet Pete remembered Jesus always asked them to believe that God's love was so great. God's love sent him, and God's love would raise him from the worst that could happen. It was all true. Now, despite years of traveling with Jesus and the others, he still wasn't very popular for how he had behaved. So he decided to go back to Galilee, and there were just a few of the disciples that went with him, leaving Jerusalem. One night, they launched a boat with nets and bait, but fished without any luck. They got nothing. Calling it a night as they rowed ashore, they saw a familiar figure in the breaking dawn, and the man's voice was all too familiar as well. Did you catch anything? They had sheer exhaustion and frustration, and we got nothing. Then the man told them to just toss their nets to the other side, and they did, landing a school of fish that they'd never seen. It was every possible kind in there, and it was so massive, it took all of their strength to haul it into the boat. And then when they got to the beach, this man greeted them with a warm fire and breakfast. Of course, Pete knew it was Jesus. But Pete also knew that he had to face up to what he had done. I mean, how do you mend a relationship with someone when you have let him down at the time when that person needed you the most? Christ knows his pain and speaks first. Do you love me? Love was the one thing that Jesus had asked for all along, and perhaps it was a whisper. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It felt good to say what was etched in his heart. And then Jesus asks two more times, Do you love me? In many ways, reminding him of being in the garden, so much so at that time when he denied him that Pete was hurt. Pete was hurt, and Pete had said, I love you. And he probably had never said those words to anyone in his life before, but he said it three times. And three times Jesus said back to him, then feed my sheep. It was the Christ's way of accepting him and loving him and turning him back around into new life.
Now, who hasn't denied and betrayed and disappointed someone? Who hasn't at some point along the way failed to live up to the hopes and expectations of yourself and others? And who hasn't failed to love and forgive and be generous and think of someone or something other than yourself? Whether it's large or small, terrible or trivial, you can carry that around with you for a long time and it hurts and it's heavy. So whether you call it forgiveness or grace, Christ's appearance that day on the beach gave Pete a whole new lease on life. And learning again that all Christ wanted was his love. All he wanted was love meant that he did not need to carry the shame and guilt of his past life. In his gut, in his gut, he understood for the first time really what those words from Christ meant. For God so loved the world, God sent him, that all who would believe, all who would believe would have life. Now some folks wondered if he would use this experience and this amazing encounter with Jesus to become the new leader. I mean, they needed a leader, didn't they? But he didn't. He knew others had a silver-tongued gift for preaching and some others a wanderlust for traveling far away and knew where to go and still others could write and get published. Each of the disciples had a trade or a profession that they picked up and continued. But Pete had something. Pete could work harder and longer than everyone else. And if necessary, he could fight to protect his own. He'd been good at those while working for someone else and competing with someone else. But he decided he had to set those things away. Seeing Christ meant that even death cannot limit the life that God's create, and he could learn to live anew. So Pete went back to fishing. Pete went back to fishing, and he tried it in a new way because he had pledged his life to love. At first, it was rather humbling, and he was kind of clumsy. This was a new thing for him. But he taught people how to fish together how to eat together, how to forgive and be forgiven. His work every day always pointed to the risen Christ. He was never elegant, but he was always honest, and when he made mistakes, he started over again. His labor and his love honored this Messiah in the ways that only Pete could offer, and he did it every day for the rest of his life. Each time he served simple meals and broke the bread, he remembered and he told the story about Jesus never with sorrow but always with joy. He invited others to know this risen Christ so that they too could believe and that they too could let their lives be made new by this otherworldly and very real grace that's offered to us all. Amen.